there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before. And it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected. Other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. The biggest problem in the world isn't global warming. It isn't the energy crisis. It's not saving the whales or the spotted owls. It's not saving the rainforest or any other endangered species or thing on this planet. The biggest problem in the world that we have is human relations. We're armed against one another all over the world. I don't mean literally, although we are literally armed against one another all over the world. People carry guns. When I was in Macedonia, it was funny. They said, uh, Macedonians don't really have a lot of guns. And I, it's true. I didn't see armed people. I don't think the police had guns. I don't remember seeing guns there. And I've been to countries where school teachers carried guns. If they were out with the children on a field trip, they had Uzis. Everywhere you went, there were guns. If you got on a bus, there were, everybody was armed. That was in the Middle East when I was in uh, Central America. Everywhere you went, there were people with shotguns and weapons everywhere. Every bank, stores, everywhere. That's just the way it was. And I, I have to admit that in Macedonia, there were not... I didn't see guns. I just didn't see them. Didn't see them on the police. Did you, people didn't walk around with guns. They were funny because they said, well, the Albanians always have guns. You know, so it's like certain people always had guns and other people didn't have guns. And so, you know, it was a very interesting thing. Americans, and they, they look at Americans like gun-toting cowboys. And there's a reason for that. We're very gun-conscious people in this country for whatever reason. I'm not here to talk about that specifically. What I want to talk about is our armament, how we arm ourselves against one another. And that is not just exoterically, but esoterically how we arm ourselves against one another esoterically. That's really what I want to talk about. We are armed against one another all over the world, from children to adults. We are all armed. Disarmament is not a physical act. Disarmament isn't something that has to happen outside. It's not like getting rid of nuclear weapons or getting rid of this or getting rid of that. It has nothing to do with that. It's not about banning guns. It's not about guns are bad and we should ban guns. Guns are pieces of metal. That's what they are. They're pieces of metal made to project pieces of metal through space at certain speeds, certain different speeds, velocities, and foot-pounds of force. That's what they are. That's what they're made to do. And I have nothing going on about that. That's just what they are. What people do with them is because people are armed even when they don't have guns. So you take the kindest, sweetest little old lady in the world who would never think of owning a gun, would never think of sticking somebody with a knife, would never think of poking someone with a screwdriver, would never think of running them over with her car or anything else. And you will find that that sweet little old lady has negative emotions and hates someone and would gouge their eyes out if they thought they could get away with it and has gouged their eyes out in their own imagination, in their own mind, even if they haven't allowed themselves to think that. They have somehow blinded the person. They have somehow hurt the person internally because we are armed against one another. Human history 
is violent. I don't think anyone could disagree with this who even takes a glance at human history. We kill each other. That's the bottom line with us. We kill each other. Scientific progress is dependent upon war and its side effects. You look at progress. Let's talk about progress. Who really funds progress? Governments. Why do they fund progress? Because they want to find a weapon that they can use against their enemies. That's why they fund progress. Why does why did the government allow research into psycho whatever dr psycho drugs? Why? Because they thought they'd be able to use it as a weapon. Why did they fund Boeing and all these other McDonnell Douglas and all these other aircraft companies? Why? For bombers, for jet fighters. Why? For weapons. Why do they support all this? Because they're looking for weapons. The biggest contracts that American businesses can get, Department of Defense. Why? Because we spend more money on that than on anything else. Why does our health care suck? Because we're spending all the money on guns. That's why. Because we are violent. Why are we violent? Well, because we're negative. This is how it's been and how it will continue to be until we learn to create the force of understanding in ourselves. What that means is nothing is going to change until we begin to create the force of understanding in ourselves. While I was in Europe, people asked me why this teaching isn't more accessible, why it's not taught in schools, why it isn't more accessible, why aren't more people talking about this, why is it that they can't find other people who are interested in this, why is it they can't find people who are willing to get together in groups, why is it they can't find people who want to do this. I had the same question. Why is it that we have 10,000 downloads a month of the podcast, and you can't find more than two people in an entire area of the world who are intro, okay, three people, who are interested in doing anything about it. Why is that? It's because people do not understand. It's just that simple. Creating the force of understanding isn't something people can do. They can't do it. Only individuals can create the force of understanding in themselves, and they can't create the force of understanding in anyone else. They can only create it in themselves. I cannot create the force of understanding in you. Although you blame it on me, you try to make me do it, there are people all day long who try to blame their understanding or their lack of understanding on me. Well, if you explained it better, then I could understand it. No, no, that's not true. If you understood it, then you could understand it. If you could create the force of understanding inside of yourself, then you would understand it. Until you can create the force of understanding inside of yourself, I can talk until I'm blue in the face. You will not understand it. There's no way to get around this. You must have the substance inside of you. You must have the catalyst inside of you to make these words understandable. These words are not understandable. They're incomprehensible unless you have understanding. How do you get understanding? You take right knowledge and you apply it. If you take knowledge, applied knowledge, applied right knowledge, rightly applied, take right effort, right knowledge, apply the right knowledge with right effort, and you will get understanding. It is inevitable. The same way that if you take two molecules of hydrogen and a molecule of oxygen and join them together, you will get water. It's that inevitable. If you take right knowledge and right effort, and you apply the right knowledge with right effort, you will get right understanding. So no matter what I say, you will get the right understanding from it. No matter what I don't say, you will still get the right understanding from it. Kurjeev said something that I think is very important. Don't pay so much attention to the words. Try and get the meaning behind the words. There's only one way to do that. You have to understand. And there's only one way to understand. You must create the force of understanding inside yourself. We don't like to hear this because it puts all of it on us where we don't want it. We want it on the speaker. We want it on the teacher. We want it on someone else. But we don't want it on ourselves. 
The reason we don't want it on ourselves is because we realize that we would have to do something, and people don't want to do anything. So why it's not taught in schools, why it isn't more accessible, is because people don't want it. It's just that simple. If it can be given to them, if they can get an IV plugged into their arm, it would be a painless IV too, of course, one that doesn't actually go into a vein, one that's intravenous but doesn't really go into the vein painfully, that doesn't have to poke in and they don't have to feel anything, then that would be okay. Then we'll do that. So just make it my favorite food or my favorite drink. Mix it in with that, and I'll eat that or drink that all day long, and then I'll just get understanding, and then I'll have that. Then it's fine. Then we want it. Oh, and it's got to be free. It's got to be free. I'm not going to pay for it. I mean, (laughs) why would I pay for that? That's ridiculous. It's got to be free. So this work isn't about world peace. It's not about love. It's not about faith. It's not about hope or any of that business so often touted by the world salesman. When I say the world salesman, I mean these people who are out there making millions and millions of dollars blowing smoke. Well, we won't say where, but blowing smoke, just smoke and mirrors, telling people all the things that they want to hear. Someone said to me one time, you know, listening to you, it's becomes very clear that this work can never be popular because you're not a fun person. No, I'm not. I'm really not a fun person when it comes to this work. I'm deadly serious about this work. As serious as a heart attack, not yours, Mele. As serious as a heart attack. Why? Because this work is serious, because this is a matter of life and death for me. I realize that. The difference between you and me is you have not realized that yet. You have not realized this is a matter of life and death. You still think your life is in life. You still think your life is connected with the events in life. You still think that that is what life is. And as long as you think that, we're not going to see eye to eye. No, I understand that, and I see that, and I agree. Yes, your life is about the events. But what I also understand is there's another segment of humanity called the conscious circle of humanity, and their life is not about the events of life. Their life is is apart from the events of life. So that's something that we can't really talk about too much because we don't, uh, we don't have that to talk about because we can't understand that at this point. It's not an experience that we can have. So these salesmen are out there selling this stuff. They're selling billions of dollars worth of books and CDs and seminars and this and that and all these things that people can do. And who is getting better? Who is transforming? Well, I'll tell you who. No one, because that doesn't work. And it never has worked and it never will work. And that's why people need a real school. And there aren't any real schools. Why is it that this, isn't more, this teaching isn't more accessible? Why isn't it taught in schools? It is taught in schools, real schools. But why is it that people are not finding real schools? Well, I can tell you why. They don't want them. That's why. Oh, they say they do, but they don't because it would cost too much. It would cost them something. And if it's going to cost them something, then it's not free. And if it's not free, well, then it must not be the truth. Because we all know that the truth has to be free. It's something that's just like air or sunshine. It just has to be free. And that's true. Air is free. Try um, not making an effort to breathe it and see how long you last with it. This work is first about becoming more conscious. After that, the other things will follow naturally. Love, faith, hope, all that business. But first is about becoming more conscious. To bring about that growth of consciousness, we start with the most simple things. Don't be deceived. Simple does not mean easy. Simple only means simple. It is not easy just because it's simple. We begin by seeing people less personally, and thereby we identify less negatively with them. We generally stop seeing people as physical objects. As we are right now, we see people as physical objects. We recognize people by their physical appearance. We recognize people as physical objects. We don't see them 
as psychological beings. We see them as physical objects. This is a tremendous disadvantage for us, huge disadvantage for us. So we have to stop seeing people gradually, stop seeing them so much as physical objects. Thus, disarmament begins at home. Where are you going to get people to disarm? Well, you're not going to get people over there to disarm. The Macedonians are not going to get the Albanians to disarm. The Americans are not going to get the Russians to disarm. The Americans are not going to get the Koreans, the North Koreans, to disarm. The Americans are not going to get the Chinese to disarm. And the Chinese are not going to get the Americans to disarm. Why? Because they're all enemies pretending not to be, just like all of us. We're all enemies pretending not to be because the false personality is pretense. And so we're all enemies, we're all separate, we are all opposed to one another, we are all armed against one another, and we're pretending not to be. This is the reality. This is what we need to see. If you're objecting to this, then what you need to understand is, and whether you can understand it or not, will be dependent upon whether you can create the force of understanding in in yourself or not. What you need to understand is, this is the truth. Whether you like it or not, whether you see it or not, whether you think it's true or not, it is the truth. Really, since it is, I don't have anything else to say about that. What the senses reveal to us of another person is never the truth. Because as Maurice Nicole said, there is no such thing as a physical person. Now, I had him say that because he carries, he, he was heavier than me. He carried more weight than I do. So he could say that and people would listen. If I say it, some people will listen and some people will not listen. So well, the reason we quote people who are dead is because we're idiots. We idolize people who are dead. The only thing anyone has to do to become a better person is die. I mean, really, think about it. It's the moment somebody's dead, suddenly their eulogy is beautiful. Suddenly everybody loved them. Suddenly everybody wants to go to their view. Suddenly only thing people can remember about them are all these wonderful things. Okay, we have a couple of villains. Stalin, Hitler, you know, these people. But look, you wait long enough and they'll turn out to be heroes. Look at Alexander the Great. Here was a murdering suck. Went around killing people. Not just one or two. Thousands and hundreds of thousands of people slaughtering them. Today he's a hero. Everybody wants a piece of Alexander the Great. Hey, he's, oh, we're from here. No, he's from there. He was a Serb. No, he's an Albanian. No, he's a Greek. No, he's Macedonian. No, he's this. No, he's that. Everybody wants a piece of the murderer, which I think is insane. But hey, that's just because I have this other perspective that comes from this other segment of humanity called the conscious circle of humanity. If we continue to take each other externally, we continue to misunderstand one another and then perpetuate this disease of violence in ourselves and on our planet. We can never know another person through the five senses. How could we possibly? We can't see the heart of the person to know how they suffer and how much it is their suffering is like our own suffering. Do you have any idea how disarming this is? When you see someone else suffering as you suffer the same way, is when that happens, it's disarming. You no longer feel that that person is an enemy. You then feel a certain camaraderie with that person. You understand something about that person. You understand that what appears, that the physical appearance is not who the person is. This is the beginning of understanding. We don't have much understanding. New recruits to this work who are actually beginners in life Imagine that other people are what they appear to be to the five senses. They look at people and they think that's who they are. They see a police officer and they think, oh, he's a law-abiding person. 
They see a politician, they say, oh, there's someone who wants to help. They see a doctor, they say, oh, there's someone who heals people. They see a nurse, they see someone who takes care of people. But scratch that a little bit. I know I have. I have met a lot of people in a lot of different professions. And I found that they are not what they appear. There are some doctors who actually are healing people, working to heal people. But we don't usually see them. We usually see the ones who are working to get money, who have the health care industry, who have the healthcare business at heart. We see people who have gone to seminars to drum up business and to pump them through faster so that they can make more money. We see people, the kind of people that we see in the healthcare industry are the people who take in bodies and crank out airplanes and houses and ski resorts and diamond rings and cars and like that, vacations. That's what we see. Now, if there are people in that industry listening and they're offended, then I'd say try and work on force, creating the force of understanding in yourself. And if you can do that, perhaps you'll be able to see what it is you, your false personality has gotten you into. And if you can see what it is your false personality has gotten you into, there comes a time when you actually can stop doing that. Now, maybe not all at once, but you can stop a little bit at a time. But you have to see it first or you're never going to stop it. So people, the beginners, the, the recruits, the beginners in life, the new recruits to this work, they think others are happy while they themselves are not happy. It's just an amazing thing how we do this. We look at somebody else and we say, if I had what they had, Patty's pretty, uh, Patty always gets it. Why do you sit in front of me? That's probably what it is. You sit right in front of me and I look at you and I go, and I remember something. I remember Patty drives her school bus around through different parts of town and she looks at houses in which she lived in one. She looks at the houses there and she doesn't, and she takes for granted the house she lives in, and she wants to live in that house. Those people are really happy. And this, these are rec new recruits to the work. These are beginners in life. Well, how can you be, how old are you? How can you be 55 and be a beginner in life? How can you be 55 and be a new recruit in life? Well, it's very simple, actually. It's very simple. The way we do it is we just don't apply ourselves, and we keep on not applying ourselves. We can't possibly know someone through the five senses. We think they're happy because they have that. Patty looks at that. She goes, oh, they're happy. They have that. They have that house. I'd be happy if I had that house. This is how we think, yes? Mm -hmm. If I lived there, I'd be happy. You see some of, I, the other day I heard, heard this call, coming down the road. And I look and it's a Ferrari, really loud. I hadn't heard a Ferrari that loud before. It was really loud. Anyway, I heard this Ferrari and I look over and there's this I thought, wow, that's a, that's a cool car. That's a nice car. If I had that car, I could be happy. That guy's probably not as happy as I could be if I had that car. You know, that's another thing. Of course, that didn't last long. I looked at that and I started to laugh. I thought, this is really funny. You know, this thing is, this thing is funny. You see, the, the, the deal is, is that this thing thought that. I didn't think that. This thing thought that. This thing looked at that and basically coveted because that's what that thing does. So we look at these things things in life and we think, well, they're happy, but I'm not happy. This work aims at educating us to what life really is. Nothing like what we thought it was, what the false personality suggests it is. Nothing. This is the hardest thing for us. We start to find out that life isn't what we thought it was, that all of the things that we've been working for and learning and working on, that all of those things are about as useless as useless can be. Why? Why is because we are not that thing 
that is transmitting that information to us. That thing that is transmitting that false information to us is our false personality. It's transmitting false information through the five senses, and we're not seeing what life is really about, which is beyond the five senses. This is why we're so confused. Life is an illusion that people follow under mass hypnosis without ever questioning the great illusion. The majority of people go through life and never even question, is this really what it's all about? They just imagine there isn't anything else or whatever else there is is so far beyond them that it's ridiculous to even talk about it. Well, why bother even talking about it? It's absurd because it just can't be done. And this is what happens to people who get into this work. They start to find out the truth and they get discouraged and depressed and despondent. They'll never make it, blah, 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 blah. They, they work for results and then they feel like they're never going to make it. And of course, they're never going to make it. That's exactly right. Because life is an illusion that people follow under mass hypnosis without ever questioning that this great illusion. Slowly, the work teaches us those people are just like us. What people? Those people. Well, what people? Those people, the ones who we think are not like us. What the work teaches us is that they are just like us. No! I'm a good person. They're bad people. I'm an honest person. They're thieves. I tell the truth. They lie. I do this. They do that. No, the work teaches us something else. So why is it that this work isn't more accessible? Why is it that it's not taught in schools? Well, because no one would listen. Because no one wants that because the self-love will not allow it. So what we find is that those people are full of doubts, they're full of frustration, they're full of troubles, they have vices and weaknesses just like us. But I don't have any of that. Right. You don't have any of that because you're not aware, because you are dark to yourself, because you are unconscious to yourself, because you are asleep to yourself. You are not aware of those things in you. And this is why we start with self-observation in this work. Self-observation shows us our false personality is not really us at all. When we finally see this and accept it, the door opens to see others in the same light. We begin to disarm ourselves. Maurice Nicole said, two people in the work should never take each other externally as two physical objects. Well, for a long time, this is just a saying for us. For a long, long time, we just say this. We don't take each other as physical objects. We just talk about that. The truth is is that we take each other as physical objects all the time. You walk into a room and you recognize the physical objects and you have instantly, you have old associations that come up, instantly you have all these sensations, all these feelings, all these thoughts that have to do with that physical object. You see it any other way, there's a reason for that, but I'm not going to tell you the reason for that. You'll have to work it out yourself. So when we finally do this, we finally see others in the same light. We begin to disarm ourselves. Only when we've worked on ourselves and accepted into consciousness our weaknesses, our fears, our doubts, lacks, and inadequacies can we really see another in a work sense. We're not going to see people in a work sense until we begin to see ourselves in a work sense. I was talking, I got an email, I was talking to somebody, and they said, yeah, the false personality this and the false personality that. And isn't there anything real in the false personality? Is it all false? And I think, God, are, are you that much of an idiot? What do you think false means? It means not real. It's the whole thing is gone. It is false. Oh, but we want to save it like we want to save the whales. We want to save it like we want to save the environment. We want to save it like we want to save the spotted owl. We want to save it. We want to save everything. Why? 
because we don't like reality. We don't like accepting the truth. That's why. And when we don't like accepting the truth, what we have left is illusion. What we have left is imagination. And we like that a lot. So we'll work with that for a long time. When we're more conscious of ourselves through self-observation, we find others are more like us than unlike us. This is the main thing. People are more like us than they are unlike us. We nitpick these minor differences and make mountains out of molehills. The truth is, people are more like us than they are unlike us. Even people who appear to be, as physical objects, totally different. They're more like us than they are unlike us. This is one of the things that we begin to find through self-observation. The force of understanding is then created in us, and we are less negative, less violent. When we become more conscious of ourselves, we change our position to ourselves. So, because we see things physically, it's a good idea to see that we have a certain position, that we view ourselves from a certain position. It's just like people now are sitting in the chairs they sit in, or they're sitting where they sit every week. Why is that? Because you have a certain position, and that's your position. And so that's the position you take. You'll find you have a certain parking position. You have all kinds of positions in life, physical spaces, because you think you're a physical being. You have all these physical spaces that reinforce this idea that you're a physical being. So you have all these physical things that you do to reinforce that you're a physical being. The fact is, is that that is a small part of you. In fact, it is the smallest, densest part of you. The real you is much less visible. The real you is much finer, much less dense. It's not as thick and heavy. Your thought life is much finer than your physical life. Your emotional life is much finer than your physical life. And your emotional life and your mental life are very heavy compared to what they could be. But still, even as heavy as they are, even when you're grossly negative, even when you're in the dark intellectually, it's still not as heavy as your physicalness. We stand behind the facade of our false personality where we can see it in front of us. The problem with us is that our false personality now is behind us and it's pushing us. It's like it has a hand in our back and it's like we're puppets and it's making us do this or making us do that and we don't know it. But if we can get behind it, then we can see the false personality out in front of us, then it's an entirely different matter. We change our position to ourselves. Do you see what I mean? You change where you stand when you look at yourself. This is what self-observation is really about. It's about changing your perspective, where you stand when you look at yourself. So you start to see things that you never saw before. If you were standing behind yourself, would you recognize yourself? The answer to that is no, mostly not. Most people, if someone takes a picture of them from behind, they don't recognize themselves. They only recognize what they see in the mirror. And then they don't always recognize that. You'll see pictures of yourself and say, that's not me. That's a bad picture. What it means is it doesn't match with your picture of yourself, your internal picture of yourself. That's what it means. But you don't have very many. Connie took a picture of me last week sitting at the computer working on editing. And I looked at it and I went, why did you do that? Why did you take a picture of me from behind? You know, it, was, it just did not fit with how I see myself as a physical being. I knew it was me because it was sitting in my chair at my desk and it had my hat on and my, my clothes on, but it wasn't me. Do you understand? So the perspective was so different. It was so rare for me to see that perspective that it was kind of shocking. This is what I'm talking about. We stand behind the facade of our false personality where we can see it in front of us. We begin to see it's a fabrication. It's not real at all. 
we begin to see it's our own invention that has been foisted on us by life and those who we've imitated in life. When we can get into this position behind the false personality rather than out in front of it where it controls us, pushes us, speaks through us, thinks through us, things begin to change between us and others. When you start to see yourself in this light, things begin to change between you and other people. They begin to change rather radically. Now, not all at once, but slowly there's a gradual change. Slowly you begin to see people in a new way, in a different light. We find that we touch people in a way that was previously impossible. As self-observation disarms us, we find that people are disarmed around us as well. One of the things that I found in Macedonia living with this family for a month is that at first it was very difficult for them. When I got out of the airport and I hugged, they stuck out their hand to shake hands with me and I hugged them instead, that's when it all began for them. That's when the whole thing well, of course, it began before that. It began when they knew I was coming. It began when they went to the airport. It began when they, when they sent the money for the ticket, you know. It began then for them. It began when they started to think about, I'm going to have this person come here to teach me. I'm going to find out how this work looks when somebody actually does it. I'm going to find out if somebody can actually do it. And if they can do it in a real-life situation, what does it look like? How do they do it? That's how I want to learn. This is, this is exactly what Gurdjieff did, exactly what Ospensky did, exactly what Nicole did. This was not just podcast. They lived together. These people came and lived together. That's how it worked. They worked together. They rubbed up against each other, and they applied the ideas as the lubricant and the salve that comes from rasping up against each other because that's what we do when we get together we we rasp it's like as iron sharpens iron so man sharpens man the bible says i hate it when i say that the bible says people go crazy when they hear that the bible says <clears throat> esoteric writings say now how's that oh that's much better we like that much better idiots as self-observation disarms us we find that these people are disarmed as well i remember for the beginning days of my stay in Macedonia. Very difficult. Same thing in Holland. Very difficult for the people. Everything was so different for them. Everything was so different. I mean, here's this person who is doing these things that they're not doing. Here's this person who's doing them right out in public. You know, and it was like, and they're looking for everything. They're looking for everything. How does he take this? How does he do that? What does he do about this? What does he do about that? They're studying everything from a critical perspective. Not from an, oh boy, I want to learn this, but from a critical perspective. Trying to find out what's wrong. Not trying to find out what's right. Always trying to find out what's wrong. You know, it really sucks to be in this position, if you care. Fortunately, I don't care, so it didn't bother me at all. The first step in seeing through ourselves and acknowledging, the first step is seeing through ourselves and acknowledging what we see through the light of consciousness. Acknowledging doesn't mean judging, condemning, being depressed or elated by what is revealed. If we're doing that, that's not it. That's not how it works. If we're doing that, we're not doing the work. If we're judging what we see, if we're condemning what we see, if we're getting depressed about it, or if we're getting excited about it. Look, either side of the pendulum, it's the same thing. If you're happy, 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 or if you're ooh, boo, hoo, it's the exact same thing. It's precisely the same. It's just two sides of the pendulum. It's just this and that, up and down, in and out, hot and cold. We're trying to have something else. It's called conscious. You can be consciously depressed. You can be consciously happy. 
It's not as easy. When you're consciously depressed, you're not nearly as depressed. You're just having sensations. That's all. You're just having physical, you're just noticing physical sensations, you're noticing thoughts, and you're noticing feelings. That's all. And you are not affected by them. But you notice them, as if you were watching some bag lady in the street, or somebody pushing a shopping cart, or somebody driving a car and talking on their cell phone. Oh, okay, maybe that's a bad example. Someone driving their car and talking on their cell phone, I'm sure you have some feelings about that. You can't see that as an interesting stranger. You see that as an idiot stranger who should get off the phone and drive, right? Unless, of course, you're the one on the phone, then you have a reason for it. Yes. Then it's okay because, well, you didn't have any choice. But they are just socially talking and that's wrong. But you, it's really an important business thing. And so that's right. And this is what I mean. We have to see that people are more like us than they are not like us. So, what does it look like? Acknowledging doesn't mean judging, condemning, being depressed, or elated by what is revealed. It's a simple acknowledgement. This is a cup, this is a table, this is a computer, this is, these are glasses, this is this, this is that. That's all. It's just a simple acknowledgement. It's not like, oh, these are good glasses, oh, these are bad glasses, oh, this is a good cup, oh, this is my favorite cup. It's not that at all. It's just, this is a cup, this is a table. That's a simple acknowledgement. This is what we need to be doing with ourselves. If you're not doing that with yourself, you're not observing yourself properly. The realm of the miraculous is just ahead of us now. When we calmly, peacefully acknowledge our own foibles, our own lacks and flaws, you like that word, foibles, and character defects, we disarm ourselves. This is when others disarm. People don't put down their arms until you put yours down. It's a Mexican standoff if everybody's waiting for somebody else to put down their weapon first. <clears throat> it's not how it works. You must disarm yourself first. This gives them the opportunity to drop their own facade of false personality. This gives them a more secure feeling and the freedom of ease around us. Will it happen with everyone? Of course not. Of course not. Some people will live in fear until they screw the lid down on their coffin. For those people, there is no possibility of development. And that's the way that is. You simply accept it. We have generated the force of understanding in ourselves and given others a jump start in the same direction. You generate the force of understanding inside of yourself, and I promise you people will behave differently towards you. And you can prove this. There are people who go out in public, and they're friendly and happy and cheerful, and they talk to people, and people respond differently. Now, you know people like this. If you're not a person like this, you know people like this, and you probably enjoy going places with them. Curtis always used to, I don't know if he does anymore, he used to enjoy going places with me because I engage everyone. And I engage them in a happy way. I tell them, I, I, I see something about them that I like, and I tell them. People glow when you do that. It creates the force of understanding, not only in myself, but also gives them a jump start, too, in the same direction. This is what the work of esotericism will do in us if we allow it a place in us, if we'll learn to obey it and make right efforts. The big problem is we have to learn to obey it, and we're not very good on obeying. But you've got to start somewhere. Find something that's worth obeying, and then serve it. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.